Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to Episode 10 of the LPP Podcast. LPP is the Life Process Program, a website that gives practical, non-12-step advice and personalized help for people with addiction or addiction-related problems. Not only drug addiction, but addictions of all kinds. My name is Zach Rhodes. I'm an LPP counselor and host of the LPP Podcast. What you're about to hear is a new episode of our weekly segment called Monday Morning Ammunition. We release these episodes every Monday morning. They're short and sweet so that you can easily listen during your Monday morning routine or commute. But the content is meant to be thought-provoking concepts that we hope you'll consider throughout the day, perhaps the rest of the week. Today's episode is an excerpt from a conversation I had with developmental psychologist and best-selling author Dr. Ross Green. We talked about a way that he came up with of working collaboratively with children whose behavior presents challenges to themselves and or to others around them. The model is called Collaborative and Proactive Solutions. This model ensures that all parties, kids and adults, act according to the wants and needs of all involved. Now, of course, this isn't a direct link to addiction-related problems, but the methods and tools of problem-solving that Ross Green describes in this episode are precisely the ways that we work with clients in the Life Process Program. And it's the way we encourage clients to work through problems with others in their lives. So, you can find links to Dr. Green's work in the show notes, or if you want addiction-related information, then to learn more about the Life Process Program, visit our website at lifeprocessprogram.com. For questions or comments related to the program itself or the podcast, you can follow us on the social media links in the show notes, or email us at info at lifeprocessprogram.com. Or you can text us at 802-391-4360. That's 802-391-4360. No further preamble. Enjoy this week's Monday Morning Ammunition with Dr. Ross Green. There's a huge difference between solving problems collaboratively and solving problems unilaterally. And we adults tend to be real keen on unilateral solving problems. That's where the adult is deciding what the solution is and imposing it on the kid. That's not ideal. The biggest thing that's not ideal about that is that we're not getting any information from the kid about what's making it hard for him to meet a particular expectation. We are simply running with what we think is getting in the kid's way of meeting a particular expectation and the solutions that we think will solve the problem. That's unilateral. Generally speaking, our theories about what's getting in the kid's way are often wrong, and therefore the solutions that we come up with to try to address those problems are often off-base. So that's why you want to be collaborative instead of unilateral. It's also why you want to be proactive instead of reactive you're not going to get a lot of problems solved in the heat of the moment. That's why you're identifying all those problems ahead of time so that you can solve them proactively. And by the way, something you mentioned earlier, so you can prioritize as well, because as you mentioned, we're not going to be able to solve them all at once. They didn't, we did, those unsolved problems didn't accumulate in a week and we're not going to get them all solved in a week either. So we're definitely going to have to prioritize. Talk about those modes of prioritization. Generally speaking, you want to prioritize any unsolved problems that could be setting in motion safety issues. This is a safety-first model. Uh, safety is a big deal in families. Safety is a big deal in schools. We read about that in the newspaper. So any unsolved problems that could be media, uh, setting in motion safety issues are a big deal. Uh, if I don't have safety issues in a kid, 
I'm either rolling with frequency, the unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes most often, or gravity, the unsolved problems that are having the greatest negative impact on this kid's life or the lives of other people. You get to pick three. You're never working on more than three unsolved problems at any particular point in time. Why is that? Otherwise, people are going to get completely overwhelmed, kid yeah. included. I mean, I'd like to think about how many of things we could work on yeah. <laughs> at once, and it's not that many. Um, so three, so that everybody doesn't get overwhelmed. The rest we are setting aside and prioritizing away so that um, we're not trying to work on too many things at once. So of the, those three problems you're working on, those are being done collaboratively. The rest you're trying to parse, okay, is this? are these problems that fall into just standard values and safety versus are these problems that are benign enough that we can put on the back burner for now? Well, if it's a high priority, that you're going to be solving collaboratively. Okay. If it's not a high priority, you are setting it aside for now. So is there any place in your model then for a unilateral, swift, hmm. decisive action? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The example I always give is if it's a kid's, if a kid's about to guard in front of a speeding car in a parking lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you're not going to set that one aside. It's too late to solve it collaboratively. You're going to yank on the kid's arm. You're going to save his life. If he blows up, so be it. But if three weeks later, he's now darted in front of a speeding car in a parking lot 17 additional times, and you have yanked 17 additional times. You've done a nice job of saving his life, but you have not done a nice job of solving this problem. You're going to need a different plan. You're going to need info. That's where you're going to have to solve that problem collaboratively. In emergent safety issues, uh, unilateral could make sense. But sticking with being unilateral on the same emergent safety issue right. makes no sense because right. it's really not working. There should be no reason not to prioritize that. I see what you're saying. Recurring safety issues should be uh, glaringly obvious that that's what you're working on collaboratively. Correct. So I'm certain you've worked with teams who have really good intentions and probably believe they're fully collaborating, but maybe not mm. actualizing the model. I've get, I've been guilty of this, usually because when I've reached unfamiliar territory, I would regress to unilateral problem solving. Um, what's the most common way that people misunderstand your model or otherwise fall short of reaching collaboration? Well, I like to think that understanding the model is loving the model. So, mm. you know, the, the things that people misunderstand are they think that this model means you don't have any expectations anymore. Not true. Means um, your concerns as the adult don't matter anymore. Not true. Um I may think that think that the inmates are now running the asylum. Totally <laughs> not true. Yeah, means you're not an authority figure anymore. Totally not true. It means you've dropped those expectations that you haven't prioritized forever. Not true. Um, so you still have expectations. You're still an authority figure. The inmates are not running the asylum. And um, all of that's going to get taken care of in the context of solving problems collaboratively and proactively. Is it ever a problem that the system itself is run in such a way that each individual feels sort of a lack of control in applying the program? Well, in schools, there are a lot of structures in place that support unilateral problem solving. I mean, sure. let's think about this. 
the meetings that we have to talk about kids don't usually include the kids. I'm just getting back from one of those, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. The solutions we come up with in those meetings don't usually involve the kid, mm. so we're being unilateral there. If a kid should happen to act up in our in, a, in our classroom and we send the kid to the office, we are being unilateral there, and the folks in the office, there's a decent chance that they are going to do something unilateral in the form of punishment. Once again, we still don't know anything about what's getting in the kid's way on this unsolved problem. Right. We still don't have any of his ideas, any of his input. We're being unilateral pretty much across the board. So a lot of the structures that are in place, aside from just the fact that we adults have been being unilateral for a very long time, um, and some adults long for the days in which unilateral was such a wonderful thing. You know, growing up, I never thought unilateral was such a wonderful thing. I was able to deal with it because I had skills to deal with it. But um, a lot of the kids that I work with don't think unilateral is so wonderful and don't have the skills to deal with it. Um, that's why they're acting up more than most kids. But I think that every kid benefits from being a part of the discussion by being heard by having their concerns inform solutions, by being a big part of solutions, and by having us focus on the problems that are causing their behaviors instead of the behaviors themselves. What does a conversation with a kid look like in this sense? And specifically, I'm thinking about, I work with high school kids who would probably like to be helped in the sense uh, that they would like to be a part of a conversation, but a lot of those conversations happen in a way that seems patronizing to the child. So maybe you could address that too. Well, there are three steps. For, that are involved in solving a problem collaboratively, I, a, a process that I call Plan B. By the way, I call the process of solving a problem unilaterally Plan A, and the process of prioritizing and setting aside some unsolved problems I call Plan C. But there are three steps that are involved in Plan B. Uh, the first is called the empathy step. This is where we are gathering information from the kid about what's making it hard for him to meet a particular expectation. What's his concern? What's his perspective? What's his point of view? As I always say, kids have information we badly need. If we're being unilateral, we don't get that information. We're just stuck with our theories. The define it all concern step is the second step. That's where the adult is entering his or her concern into consideration on the same unsolved problem. We adults have very important concerns as well. As I always say, regrettably, we often try to get them addressed through use of plan A unilaterally. In this process, you're getting that exact same concern addressed collaboratively. Same concern, completely different approach to getting it addressed. Mm -hmm. And in the invitation, we are collaborating with the kid in a partnership on coming up with a solution that is not only realistic, meaning both parties can do what they're agreeing to do, but also mutually satisfactory, meaning the solution truly addresses the concerns of both parties that we heard about in those first two steps of Plan B. What I've been saying a lot lately is, if a solution isn't realistic and mutually satisfactory, I promise this problem is still unsolved. Could you give an example of what one of those problems would be and how, how it could be influenced by this process? 
Well, let's say that a kid is having, and this is the way unsolved problems usually sound. Unsolved problems usually start with the word difficulty. And then the word difficulty is usually followed by a verb, whatever our expectation is. And then the rest is kind of details. I've noticed you've been having difficulty raising your hand during class discussions in social studies. What's up? And now, after we say what's up, we hope the kid says something. But here's the deal on he says something. Whatever he says first is not going to give us the clearest possible understanding of what's making it hard for this kid to meet this expectation. So now we have to start probing for information, a process I call drilling. And I should mention that people can get a lot more detail on all of this on the website of my nonprofit, Lives in the Balance, which is livesinthebalance.org, including walking tours, which show people through streaming video what all of this looks like. But oh, excellent. let's say we start with, I've noticed you've been having difficulty raising your hand during discussions in social studies. What's up? And he says, I don't know. It's common. Well, think about it for a second. We're, we're not in a rush here. We really want to understand what's making that hard for you. Let's say he says, I'm worried that if I don't call out the answer, I won't remember what it is that I wanted to say. Hmm. Interesting. Now we're going to do a drilling strategy called reflective listening. There are eight drilling strategies. People will find those on the drilling cheat sheet on the Lives in the Balance website. Ah, you're, you're concerned that you won't remember what you have to say if you don't call it out. And now we're going to use a um, clarifying statement like, um, can you tell me more about that? Well, I find that if I um, don't say it immediately, then I won't remember it, and then I won't be able to comment and I know that part of my grade is based on participation, so I don't want to lose the thought. Reflective listening again. There are seven other drilling strategies, but this is where I would do reflective listening again. Got it. So, number one, you're concerned that if you don't participate, you won't get a good participation grade. And so you do want to participate, but that if you don't participate immediately, then you won't remember what you wanted to say. Do I have that right? That's what the empathy step sounds like, right? But And it would probably go on for a little bit longer. We'd want to make sure that we understood the kids' concerns as completely as possible. But eventually, we would have a much better understanding of what's making it hard for this kid to meet this expectation of raising his hand during social studies discussions, probably information we didn't have before. And we are now well set up to try to see if we can address that concern. But before we do, we have to go to the adult concern step, the defined adult concern step, and find out what the adult's concern is. Should I model that? Sure. The, the defined adult concern step usually starts with the words, I wonder if there's, uh, 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 um, my concern is, or the thing is. So here's what that might sound like. The thing is, and by the way, adult concerns usually fall into one or both of two categories. How the unsolved problem is affecting the kid. How the unsolved problem is affecting other people. Mm. So let me give that a whirl. The thing is, if you call out answers, then you make it very difficult for kids who are being patient and raising their hands to say what they have to say. That's how the unsolved problem is affecting others. 
And sometimes I see them responding not so kindly to you when you do that. And I don't want that to affect your relationship with your friends. I guess that would be how the unsolved problem is affecting the kid. Now, it doesn't always have to be both, but that's what the defined adult concern step would sound like. Now we're ready for the invitation. The invitation always starts with the words, I wonder if there's a way. Generically, what you're wondering if there's a way to do is solve this problem. So you could say, I wonder if there's a way to solve this problem. But I would strongly recommend that what you do instead is recap the concerns of both parties. Mm. It would sound like this. I wonder if there's something we can do about you having difficulty remembering what you want to say but still wanting to get a good participation grade and also do something about making sure that the other kids in the class who are raising their hands get to say what they want to say and have it not affect your relationship with your friends. You are then giving the kid the first crack at the solution. Do you have any ideas? And generally speaking, kids usually do have ideas, but if the kid doesn't, we hope the adult does. But now in the invitation, we are thinking of a solution and we are evaluating it in terms of whether it's realistic and mutually satisfactory. If it's not, then we either refine it or we come up with a different one. And now this problem is presumably solved and the challenging behaviors that were going along with it are now gone.